This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello from your very pregnant and very tired host. I'm Lucinda and this is Ready or Not's three-part holiday listening series. Over the next three weeks, we'll be re-releasing some of the year's most popular episodes. I hope you have a great holiday and I'll see you on the other side. Maybe with some baby news, but definitely with some new Ready or Not episodes. These will start again on Wednesday the 10th of January. Today we're kicking things off with Ultraviolet co-founder Ava Chandler-Matthews. This was the most listened to Ready or Not episode this year and given Ava's incredible candour, it comes as no surprise. Even if you've already listened to it, I recommend listening again. So here it is, the most listened to Ready or Not episode for 2023 with Ava Chandler-Matthews. This episode of Ready or Not is brought to you by Get Pat, an organisation that promotes open conversations about cervical screenings and urges individuals to take responsibility for scheduling their appointment. I don't think you ever are ready, really. We are programmed to believe that we need children and want children. I think you kind of worry about feeling a bit redundant. It was very shocking to see him out in the world. Having a life is really important to me outside of being a mother. I just don't feel like this business really needs me. Are you resentful? Do you hate me? And he's like, no. If it was flipped, I'd be so resentful. You're allowed to miss the life that you had. You might not hear a more honest conversation on motherhood and career than the one you're about to hear. Ava Chandler-Matthews is a mother and the co-founder of Ultraviolet, a skincare brand stocked at some of the biggest retailers in the world. She went back to Ultraviolet at three months postpartum. She travels a lot and while she loves her son to no end, she's open about missing her old life and not considering herself a particularly maternal person. Here, we talk about some of the struggles she had with breastfeeding, postpartum anxiety, feeling like the business she founded didn't need her, and getting used to this new weight of responsibility. While it never got to the stage where she genuinely thought she might harm herself, one night, her thoughts did lead her to wishing she had sustained a small injury just so she could spend one night alone in hospital. She's so generous with her honesty and she walks us through it all. I'm Lucinda, this is Ready or Not, and here is the candid and colourful Ava Chandler-Matthews. Could you please start by introducing yourself and your family? Yes, so I'm Ava Chandler-Matthews and I am one of the co-founders of Ultraviolet, which is an SBF skincare brand. We call it SkinScreen, obviously an Australian brand. We're based in Melbourne. My family consists of myself, obviously, my husband, Dion, my son, Art. We call him Artie most of the time. And then our little Pouchon, which is a toy poodle and beach on freeze um, dog called Ladybug. 
So before you founded Ultraviolet, what came for you career-wise? I grew up in Sydney um, and then I moved to New York in my kind of early to mid-20s and worked there for a couple of years. And I've always kind of been, I started my career in like PR comms and then in my kind of mid to late 20s, I moved into more of that brand development, marketing, kind of strategic brand product development style always in beauty. I'd always been in beauty. Uh, so I was working for Napoleon Purtis when he still owned the brand. And then, yeah. And then I moved to Melbourne to work for Mecca Brands in their head office. And that's where I met my business partner. And then after Mecca, I went to Rationale as their head of marketing, kind of was working on ultraviolet in the background at the time. Oh, wow. So you had just a little bit under your belt to get you going. Now tell us about yeah. starting such a cult brand. I'm sure there was a lot that came before what we see online now. Tell us about starting such a big brand. Yeah, I think we seem bigger than we are because I still feel like we're very small and nimble. Um, but thank you. That's nice of you to say. I guess, you know, we had a bit of a shortcut, Beck and I, my co-founder, in that we kind of knew what, well, we knew some of the things we needed to do. So it wasn't like we needed to find a manufacturer or a chemist or someone to help us with packaging, those kinds of things. Like we knew we had a bit of a head start in that respect. Um we developed a lot of products for other brands before. So we kind of, we knew where to go. We knew the good players, the ones that we wanted to work with. Um, we always knew that, um, you know, it was very important for us that this brand was started and made in Australia. And we obviously started in Australia first before going international. But yeah, so Beck kind of worked part-time in the years between Mecca and launching Ultraviolet. So she could spend one day a week on, you know, getting Ultraviolet developed, uh, well, kind of ready to launch. And I would work kind of, we'd meet up on the weekends, do things after hours and stuff. But then I left my job, you know, about four months before we launched and kind of then was dedicated to doing that full time. And that was that kind of like marketing side of things, website, all of that stuff. I mean, obviously there's a huge amount involved in in creating a brand and it, you know, takes a lot of people and, and Beck and I just kind of did the best we could with the skills that we had and very lean. We had sourced it all ourselves and we kind of, you know, would find people, either friends or friends of friends to kind of help us plug the gaps that we didn't have ourselves. So it was very kind of, we had a lot of the skills ourselves and, and if we didn't, we kind of beg borrowed. So then you do eventually decide at some stage or maybe the decision is made for you. I'm not sure. We'll find out to create a family. Before you are pregnant, what does it feel like to jostle with that idea? It's so hard for any woman that wants to work to then make that decision. But I imagine mm. particularly in what would have been the early days of a pretty robust and growing business, you're stocked in Sephora, Adore Beauty, David Jones, Harrods, all over the world. So to everyone on the outside, it's a pretty big business, which can be very hard when it comes to the decision of when to start a family, when to take that step back, when to divide yourself, essentially. Mm. How does that all play out for you from that emotional point of view? I guess it was definitely a source of, it wasn't stress. So I guess the first thing to say is that I'm very lucky to have an amazing business partner and we're 10 years apart. So we're at very different stages in our lives, which is really helpful. You know, it's not like I've got into business with my best friend and we're both 35 or we're both you know in our early 30s at the time starting a brand and both having kids being out of business at the same time so I think that age difference for Beck and I is is kind of helpful in that she now has teenage children and I have an infant child so that's one thing that you know it wasn't concerned that we would both be out of the business at the same time because I think then that would have been a nightmare kind of trying to 
like tag team maternity leave. And also you'd seen someone do it as well, I guess. Yes. I've kind of seen businesses where it's that. I haven't, you know, look, I think it's fine when you're an established business and you've got a lot of the support structures in place internally to kind of support you while taking some parental leave. So I guess I was obviously worried about leaving the business, but not to the extent where I was like, God, I need to time this. I need, I've got a small window and I need to do it at this time because it's going to be lower for the business. So having Beck, having a business partner is really great. Um, for all for so many reasons, but having a business partner in this instance was really great because you, I felt like Beck's so smart and super talented and doesn't need me. So I mean, she does, but like <laughs> need each other. But you know, she doesn't need me to get on with stuff. So it's not like you know, stuff's not going to happen in the background. She's more than capable of running a business um, by herself. So that was one, I guess, thing that gave me some comfort, and uh, I wasn't super concerned. It was always going to happen. You know, I. I got married in 2020. We kind of started thinking about having kids then. I don't think necessarily I was ready. I don't think you ever are ready, really. Like I knew I wanted to have children, but I guess it was just like a thing that you mm. like. I never had that burning scent to have children. Um, I, I think I have it more now that I've got a child. I think it's definitely unlocked something in me. But before that, I was like happy to give kids back. Like loved my friends' kids, but like also equally happy to just. Not in that sort of infatuated way where you yeah, can't Yeah, I wasn't like super clucky, but I knew, you know, it was very important to my husband. And I don't think it was ever a matter of like, will we or won't we have children? I think we're always going to, because I think it's kind of ingrained in us as women, right? Like I think it's just the, the thing, whether it's biological or societal, we just are programmed to believe that we need children and want children. And of course we do need to have children to continue the world, but not everyone does. So I think it's kind of, there was that element as well. And, and I did think, you know, I did think, oh, look, I think I will regret not having children. Mm. So it wasn't really ever a, a internal or conversation that I had with my husband. It was, I guess I would have put it, I think if I, if biologically I could have had children at 40, whatever, 40, if I could have lived another five, 10 years and not had kids, I probably would have. Yeah, someone said actually recently on the podcast that it happened, it, our biological clocks seem to work just as we're peaking in our career, which is so wildly yeah. unfair. And that's yeah, exactly what you're saying too. Yeah, I would have yeah. loved to have had a few more years in my career. As in, I did want kids. So, I mean, I could have waited a bit longer, but it's yeah. that timing is just so off. Yeah, it really is. It is. And, you know, my husband's eight years older than me. So he was definitely kind of, I guess, ready earlier than than I was and at his in his career is kind of different as well and also I guess there's not that pressure for men to kind of hang around after the kids born yeah. and you know depending on what you do with feeding then they're not necessarily as relevant I say it was a bit of a struggle for us to conceive but when I reflect on it it probably wasn't more so than the average woman at, at my age what happened for you if you don't mind me asking I have PCOS, so it was definitely more of a timing thing for us. You know, mm. I, I could never get those ovulation sticks to work because I was probably peeing. You know, they're like... Those bloody you know, ovulation be, sticks. I know. They're like, you're going to ovulate day 14. And because my death cycles were like 39 days, I never knew when I was ovulating. So we tried, I guess, like the old-fashioned way. I did have, I did seek fertility help. Like, I think we kind of started... I went off birth control probably a year before we got pregnant and... I was getting married in kind of November 2020, so I didn't really want to be pregnant at my wedding. But I was, I guess we were kind of weren't using protection. I also was kind of like, how I don't know how hard it's going to be. So I kind of wanted to get some help 
early on and because I'm also like that like I'm I like to be kind of proactive more so with my health and also I don't I don't necessarily I bury my head in the sand about a lot of things but that's not one of them so I kind of just jumped on it pretty quickly and I was just doing ovulation induction so just taking letrozole for the few days a month that they tell you I wasn't really having scans or doing the injections at that point it was very loosey-goosey and then my fertility specialist moved away so she gave me someone else I didn't like her and, and so I had booked an appointment with an IVF specialist and that was in, I think, September of 2021. And in between that, I can't, the month, the last month, the month we actually ended up conceiving was I was like, fuck it, we're about to go through IVF. So like, I think we had sex once that month. And of course, you know, it's what everyone always says, like, and because I was kind of handing my body over to science and doctors, I was like, whatever. And so that ended up being the day we conceived but because PCOS my periods are super like random and light so I had what I thought was a period but was actually implantation bleeding so by the time I was actually going down the IVF route I was already pregnant and she was scanning me she was scanning me and she was like I think I see a sack I was kind of (laughs) like what does that mean (laughs) I was like oh my god I've got cancer like I've got an ovarian I've got a big ovarian cyst or I've got cancer and she was like are you really sure you're not pregnant I was like yeah I'm 100% sure I didn't I had my period and she said, go and get a blood test. And so I went and had a blood test. This was on a grand final Friday in Melbourne, which is a public holiday. And um, they rang me the next day and they were like, yeah, I had people over and we were drinking champagne because it was a long weekend. And <laughs> I just opened a bottle of like rosé champagne, which is my favourite, and was sitting down to have a glass and my phone rang and they were like, oh, are you sitting down? Do you, are you somewhere private? And I was thinking, oh, God. I'm there is something wrong and they said well, well congratulations you're pregnant oh I was my like God. my jaw was on the floor so yeah that was and then that was Artie and then you know we had a couple of things like had a subchorionic hematoma which caused a lot of bleeding in that first kind of trimester and a half oh wow I thought I'd miscarried a couple of times but I hadn't and then yeah wow so how did pregnancy go then for you while you were trying to navigate running a business as well? Uh, It was actually fine. Uh, Artie wasn't a, I mean, aside from the bleeding, which was, I guess, more kind of mentally terrifying. I didn't really tell many people until about 20 weeks because I was always scared that something was going to happen and I definitely wouldn't do that again. But it was fine. Yeah, Yeah, I kind of, I guess I was he was a pretty easy pregnancy. I had, I think I vomited once. I of course was tired, but I think I was, I just carried on. I didn't mm-hmm. really, I may, I had a couple of days working from bed, I think, but at that time there were really, there was like five of us in the team or six or something. So it was really small. And I was kind of carrying, I was the only person pretty much doing marketing for the business. And I knew we needed like a senior resource to kind of help wasn't a maternity leave cover. It was just growing the team and the requirements. So we, you know, I hired a great head of marketing to kind of support and grow that area of the business. You know, execution is not really my strong suit. So I definitely needed a strong executor. And so, yeah, we kind of got things in place set up. We had someone in, a couple of people in finance, Beck and I, I think we had one person in product development and then like an assistant brand manager. Yeah, some ad hoc customer service so yeah, then we kind of really started to build the team. So the team's kind of a lot bigger now, but it was, yeah, it was fine. I guess the only, I was worried leaving. I guess I'm a bit of a control freak. I think that's probably quite natural when you have your own business. So I was concerned about, 
I think you kind of worry about feeling a bit redundant once you leave. Like, what's everyone's going to be fine without me? I'm kind of not really that necessary or relevant. Um, They're going to find me out. Everyone thinks like they realize I'm not actually that good at what I do. I know I'm not that good, and everyone can carry on without me. So therefore, I'm just I'm a waste of space. Um, We're hard on ourselves. Yeah, we are. We really are. So anyway, I um ended up getting COVID like the week before I had Artie. He was a breech baby, so I had to have him a cesarean and he stopped growing. So my obstetrician was like, well, we need to get him out early. So we got him out at 38 weeks and he was, because he stopped growing, he's a little baby. And so, yeah, I thought I had kind of an, I was planning to work straight up until the end and co- getting COVID and having to move the cesarean day kind of I brought that to a, I guess, a bit of an abrupt um yeah finish so I ended up having for well, three days I think before Artie was born kind of off um wow. yeah so I guess it's a fairly stressful sort of lead up to the giving birth yeah. and you know it's always stressful yeah. if someone's told their baby's not growing and all of the rest of it yeah. what was it like when you actually met him and what were those really early days of parenting like so I mean you know everyone I couldn't, I'm one of those people and I, maybe a lot of people are like this, but I can't really imagine myself in a scenario until I'm there. You know, like when you're going away and you think about, you know, you imagine yourself walking down the streets of New York and I just can't picture it until I'm actually there. So I had no idea. And friends had told me, you know, I'd seen enough people have babies. I was like, I just know enough to know that I'm not going to have any idea of what this is like until I'm actually there. So I kind of was preparing myself for the worst and then obviously it's like so much worse. <laughs> like it's just so much more terrifying when you're in it. But I, because I had a cesarean, yeah. I mean, look, my obstetrician was incredible. I'm so obsessed with her. You know, she was playing Fleetwood Mac. The cesarean was actually like really nice. Like, I mean, it's kind of terrifying being on that cold, hard bed. And mm. but I felt really supported, and I didn't feel like it was. You know, I went and got a blow. I mean, Phoebe, who Simmons, who open, who owns the blow and the memo. Um, she opened the salon early for me so I could get a 6 a.m. Oh, blow dry. That's so good. Before know, you're a cesarean, that's awesome. Yeah, I went and had a blow dry, then I went and checked in and we had Artie at the Epworth in East Melbourne. And yeah, it was actually like it was kind of fine. I was really adamant. I'd had some friends have babies there and they were like, try and get a double room if you can at the Epworth, which is like two double beds. So I have a double bed and my husband has a double bed. And I honestly like that was my number one tip. I was like, hassling them for this double room and I got it I literally asked every single person I saw I didn't care if it was a pediatrician <laughs> like an assistant obstetrician a nurse I asked literally everyone and then I got it thank god because I just thought I'm about to have my stomach sliced open yeah. um I don't want to be sleeping anywhere near anyone else and that's fine like I think that's a fair request yeah like, I, you're about to have major surgery that's pretty fair enough exactly and I also didn't want you know, my husband at one point was like, well, I can just sleep at home. And I was like, no fucking way. You can't like, you won't be sleeping. I've got a baby to look after my friends. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, the baby doesn't sleep through the night. Just so you know, like it just doesn't work like that. So, and he, I was like, you're going to want to be around. You won't want to miss these. Like you get taught a lot by the midwives. He came out and didn't know the sex and I really wanted a girl. So I was slightly disappointed that it was a boy Um, for, you know, maybe an hour. <laughs> I was about to say five that's minutes. That's fine. I think that's absolutely fine. I wanted a girl too for my first yeah. boy, so I get that. Yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, it was great. It was very shocking to see him out in the world and I, I think it was just on heaps of drugs. 
And yeah. I felt pretty cool, calm, and I do after that moment of you know disappointment after a, him not being a girl. I feel like he's gonna he, he probably won't listen to this, but if you do one day, <laughs> I, I love you so much. Wouldn't change you for the world. Um, <laughs> I didn't feel that like overwhelming like love and. I mean, of course, I, I didn't did. either. I was like in awe is how I'd probably describe it, but I wasn't yeah. like, oh my god, it's you. Like, I didn't. Yeah. This person yeah. was a stranger to me. Yeah, it was. I a loved stranger. him, I... but it wasn't like, of course, oh, it was you all along. You know. Yeah. No. Yeah. Totally. I think there's like, you know, you do have to get to know them a bit. Like, I think. Yeah. I mean, and I'm sure some people do feel that initial, like it was you all along, and you know, the love of my life, but that definitely grew for me. Um, and that's not to say I feel like I sound really cold and disconnected, but, you know, obviously I loved him, but it wasn't like that, like, oh, my God, I just need my baby all the time. Hot, mm. Like I was happy for him to. No, I think a lot of mums feel that way, so it's good to admit it. So, yeah, it was kind of, and then, you know, we had five days in hospital and I was so, like, I'm, I did, I was very dependent on the midwives and, I did use my cesarean wound to, I'm like, oh, I can't change his nappy. It's painful. And so I was like, you guys, and look, they were, they were so lovely. The midwives at the airport, they were incredible. So um, you learn so much know, from them, don't you? It's you pretty do, amazing. Yeah. And then the lactation consultants, I was, you know, and then everyone was like, oh, it's those day three blues. And mine hit on Thursday and I was uncontrollably crying because I just thought one day Artie's going to look at me and call me a bitch or something and I just called oh, and I was like I had the like, exact same sort of feelings yeah. that yeah. is full on isn't it yeah and I because I was like uh, on day three which was I assumed was Wednesday I was counting like Monday's day one which is he was born in the morning I was fine I was having visitors I was like chatting and laughing eating Vegemite toast and then the next day it was like I know that feeling so well it came for me a little bit later actually it came when my son spent a few days in special care he was okay but he was born early so he just needed a bit of help learning to feed and and I felt such adrenaline and I guess rush of endorphins at the start it was for me when I took him home and I realized like the weight of responsibility and like that I'm going to die and all of those things yeah. that you don't really think about yourself that much I don't think you worry about no. your parents and all of that sort of stuff yeah but then like oh my god I'm leaving you in this world one day what have I done like why I have I done this? I know why have I done exactly yeah I definitely <laughs> felt that feeling at home as well like I remember you know saying to my mum because all my family all of our you know our families in Sydney and um and I said to my mum you know we might just want to spend a couple of weeks together as a family and then mum was like, oh, are you sure I can come early? Because I knew she said she'd committed to giving me like, you know, four to five weeks coming to stay with us in oh, Melbourne. Which so was nice. so It was great. And I didn't want to waste that week. She's like, I can come a week early and prepare. I can come when you're in the hospital and prepare the house for you. And I was like, no, 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 don't. You just come in a couple of weeks. And then like we came home on the Friday, on the Saturday, I rang her sobbing. And I was like, I think you need to come tomorrow. That could make me cry right yeah. now. I know that yeah, is so yeah, And my yeah. mum doesn't live interstate, so I can imagine that moment when yeah. you're like, oh, my God, I'm a mum. I realise what you did for me now or I'm starting to realise and then you're like, yeah. I actually need you. <laughs> yeah, oh, I was like, I couldn't have cared about Dion. I was like, you can leave. No, that's not true. He was <laughs> And Dion was, ama- Dion was so amazing and then, you know, everyone has that moment when their partners go back to work after whatever and he had you know three weeks off so Mm. that was 
good and then how did that feel for you actually as someone that's very career driven and has I'm not saying that you're not maternal but as you've said not not a classically sort of in inverted commas maternal person how is that for you when Dion returned to work when you have this really big job it was kind of more scary for me being left at home, you know, by myself. Yeah, so it was less baby. about the identity thing. I could work. It was yeah. more just at that point, work was like I couldn't have. I couldn't. It have, may as well be. I didn't have capacity. Yeah, I didn't have <laughs> capacity to think about work. Like I, I think there were a couple after maybe four weeks. I might occasionally look at an email, or even six weeks. I think I did not have capacity to think about work. Probably four a good four or five, maybe even six weeks. And so I wasn't like jealous of him going back to work. I was like. You're two in another headspace. I was sad that he was kind of leaving us at home. And so that was when your mum also happened to be there. What was it like having those extra hands of support in those early days? It was, yeah, it was really good. It was, I couldn't have done it without her. She definitely made the house feel like a home, like he'd light candles and do dinner. And it just felt, felt like more like less foreign felt like I guess there was that source of continuity and she's you know she's had five kids and oh wow the youngest are 20 so I mean they're still old well they're 21 now but it wasn't like she'd had kids 40 years ago like Mm. she'd had kids kind of in this century Mm. foreign is such a good word too because you do come home to your house yeah, and feel everything feels foreign. You start to dread nighttime, and you start oh, you to feel the sense it. of loneliness. Yeah, and everything's different, and it's your home, but it doesn't feel like oh, it in some ways. No, it is, and you feel like you're in a space shuttle or something. Yeah, yeah, the nights were terrible. I remember saying to my best friend, "I'm like, is it normal to ha- really get like really have that pit of dread when the when the sky starts turning dark? Oh, the dread <laughs> as the sun starts to set. <laughs> yeah, one of the worst feelings I've ever had in my life. It's so bad." <laughs> it's so bad sorry I feel like you're a lot closer to that feeling again but maybe it won't be as maybe bad. it's different the, the second, second time let's pretend yeah. it is we yeah let's know. pretend let's pretend for both of our sake yeah, yeah exactly um yeah it was yeah just you know obviously you know for those who are listening who've had children like I guess we probably all feel that that weirdness yeah I don't even think even if you are super excited about having a child that you can be really prepared for what's about to hit you no, I think those things that perhaps I would have once found a bit patronising about like you don't know what it's going to be like until you're in it. Now I'm like, it's the truth. And I hate even I saying that because it makes me think that I'm appearing as though I think I'm this otherworldly goddess that's like had a child. Oh, but no. it's true. You can't, you cannot feel those. That scope of emotion is wild. It's confronting. It's yeah. yeah. It's so many feelings. I know, and I do. It does probably sound like mm, you'll know when you're there. Um, yeah. It's not intending. It's just like I, I think it's actually not even helpful mm. to listen to people's experiences sometimes because they can be so wildly different to what you have, and like you really can't imagine what it's going to be like until you're in it. Mm. So I mean, like information is always helpful. Um, but just not to really rely too much on on that information because your own experience could be such a good point. will be will wildly different. Yeah, I know people that haven't even had the baby blues, so oh. I don't I don't know what that must feel like. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so if anyone's listening, first time pregnant, you might not. Yeah, even you might not. I do it. remember. Yeah, it's so funny because they t- say you feel all these feelings. I remember like 
I think it was an afternoon or a night. And look, I didn't even have a crier. My kid was not, you know, Artie still is to this day, not a big crier. He's not super vocal. Like he'll cry obviously when he's upset or he'll grunt and like he'll kind of get frustrated and he will cry when he's hurt or upset about something or scared or whatever. But he wasn't like a screaming down the house all night kind of a kid. But I remember one night being like, I want to throw myself down the stairs because then I can go to hospital and I can be by myself and be in hospital. Oh, I'm so glad you shared that because it's just, I, these sorts of things run through mum's heads all the time. Oh, and I was like, I don't, I, I was like, a small fracture could be good. I don't want to really hurt myself, but like maybe just a small fracture so I could be alone in a hospital bed and sleep through the night. So, yeah, they're, they're very yeah. normal. Thank you for um, being so open about that because as much as maybe we're scaring people off, I think yeah, it's no. good to and know look, that you're not alone. If that does happen yeah. to you, you know. And if you do, if you do feel, like, feel like seriously harming yourself, like I was, I knew in my rational brain I would never do that. Mm. And I, but I think some people do get really bad postpartum and, you know, mm. can get really depressed. I think I definitely had more of an anxiety rather than a true postpartum depression, which I think definitely needs to be treated seriously with right support, you know, psychologically and, and medically. So I, I'm making light of it now, but it it cannot it can be really serious. So don't don't be as flippant as I yeah. Cervical cancer death rates in Australia have halved since the National Cervical Screening Program began in nineteen ninety one which is proof of the importance of regular screenings. If you're over the age of 25, you should have a cervical screening every five years until you are 74 years of age, provided that your results are normal. Get Papped understands that the first time booking can be confronting and finding a doctor you feel comfortable with and trust is paramount. Which is why Get Papped reached out to their community to find out who they have tried and tested and had a positive experience with during their cervical screening. Head to getpapped.com to explore their practitioner directory of over 600 recommended doctors and book your cervical screening today. And so you mentioned postpartum anxiety there. Did you ever get a diagnosis or get extra support outside of just a supportive partner and a supportive mother, or did you just try and coast through it as best you could? Oh, no, I've had a I've had a therapist, so um, you know all of that stuff was kind of really good to be able to talk to her about, and she kind of let me know that, like the breastfeeding, I found really ha- the hardest to navigate mentally, and she said like she was saying that she reckons ninety two like 90 to 95% of her clients' patients felt that way and that was the biggest driver of like postnatal depression and anxiety that she had seen. And you've been quite Mm. open about this on social media. Can you share with us your breastfeeding story and some of the biggest challenges for you? It's funny, like thinking about this in hindsight, there's just I can't imagine, you know, when we have another child, I just can't imagine it playing such a big part. I have PCOS, so that can make breastfeeding sometimes difficult in terms of supply because your breasts some people with PCOS their breasts don't have as much like tissue like glandular tissue oh that's really interesting I didn't know yeah no I didn't know that either until I don't know one of the lactation consultants I saw and I think I saw four um told me that so 
I, because he was a cesarean, my milk didn't come until really late. I, I kind of, I did have a feeling at the beginning, like I kind of had a feeling I would have a cesarean and I also had a feeling that breastfeeding might be hard. And that might be because I have small boobs. I might have just assumed that, which is not necessarily the case, but because of my PCOS, I just didn't have enough tissue to properly feed him. And he was also a little baby. And, you know, everyone says, just be careful that they don't make you start formula feeding your child because they're small and that you want that they want them to gain weight and I had read about I'd read, you know listen to podcasts with midwives and doulas and like, oh, at the end of the day like you just have to do what's right your mental health is so much more important yeah. and their growth in whichever way that comes exactly right and I'm like it was hard for me to um, I saw two lactation consultants in hospital and then I saw one when I was at home which I'd booked randomly like just had a flash on like Monday afternoon I was like I should try and find a consultant or maybe it was the week before I even had him and so I booked one for Saturday after we came home from the hospital which was like so 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 well timed that's a great Um, tip that a friend of mine had mine had just book it even before you have your baby just in case I I I've I've subsequently told all friends having babies to Mm. book um, lactation consultants for when they come back from hospital and I saw her and she was fantastic she came I think twice um, but she also was a midwife at a hospital. She couldn't, wasn't as available, I suppose, as I kind of, I was like, you know, it was one of those things I was like, I'm just throwing money at this and I don't care because I just want to try and make it work. And I was fine to mix feed, you know, if he had a bit of breast milk, a bit of formula, that gave me a bit of flexibility, gave, took the pressure off me. I also didn't see breastfeeding as this like amazing bonding experience. Yeah, so it wasn't and necessarily like you fixated on making that work. I was fixated on the health. I want to, I was kind of like breaking it down breast milk versus formula. Like there is no denying that breast milk is a better quality of milk. Like you cannot deny that, but it's not magic. You know, Mm. it's not going to give your kids these like immunity superpowers and it's not going to make your kid like super smart or like develop faster or walk sooner or like yeah like there are obviously lots of benefits and like you know we know we know that but formula will do the job and it won't cause any detriment to your child and I was fine I was kind of like mixed feeding is fine I'm never going to have enough milk from my boobs alone so we're going to need to top up with formula and Artie's drinking it so whatever and it means other people can feed him so I was fine with that I was doing that really fucked up schedule where you breastfeed then you pump then you kind of you breastfeed then you formula feed then you pump or whatever someone formula feeds and I used to read that that those stats where it's like breastfeeding is is possible with a lot of support and I was like I'd always read that and be like how is more support going to Mm. help you breastfeed I don't understand are these people being milked like where what is this support (laughs) doing but like I like how does this and then when you're I'm like oh okay so the support is so you can pump to increase yeah. your supply or someone else is feeding them from formula or like the pumped milk mm. that you've pumped before that's where the support or support is someone taking them so you can pump like because pumping is, is just like pumping is yeah. not fun no it's not so four lactation consultants but then two kind of consistently at the end in my own home um and that was really helpful that kind of the last appointment with the um with sue the lactation consultant who was recommended by my therapist was uh, like she kind of got me latched without a um, nipple shield and it became and showed me some other positions and it just became a lot smoother 
but she was like both of them were very much very clear that I should only be doing this as long as my mental health would allow oh that's so um, refreshing and that, that was the most important thing but my mum yeah I'm it's it's quite old school. my mum was kind of like don't you want to breastfeed you know are you sure you don't want to breastfeed and she didn't ever make me feel guilty she was kind of like whatever's right for you but I think there is that kind of lingering like you know, well, it was probably what was drummed into her, right? So it's like it's just old yeah. habits die hard. And she breastfed, you know, four or five of her children. So kind of what she knows. It was very much a journey. I did that kind of two-week two power, kind of power pumping camp, boot camp, and got my supply up to us. So I was, he was always mixed fed. Um, and that worked for me. That worked for my lifestyle. It meant I could sleep, you know, stretches. meant other people could feed Artie. It meant... I had some flexibility. It was just better for me. I don't think I would ever try and exclusively breastfeed mm, with subsequent children. I just don't think that there's too much pressure. I've got a couple of friends that exclusively breastfed. I'm like, they can't have a life. Like having a life is really important to me outside of being a mother. So like I like to be able to go and not have to take Artie everywhere if I want to go out. And I took three months off and in those Three months, he did come most places with me. But I also went and did social things and I could go out and have a few drinks without, you know, worrying about what my son was going to eat. But, like, I used to take – Artie was a carrier baby, so he would come. I'd get pedicures, blow dries, like, my brows done, got blood taken. Like, I've got this – I did this, like, reel of, like, all the things, Artie, because he just wouldn't sleep lying down. So during the day, he slept on me. In the carrier, yeah. In the carrier. He loved it. And it was fine, you know, it was kind of annoying, but it was, you could do yeah. most, raise your arms up and it, you could do most things. And when they're that small too, with hindsight, like that's, I mean, I know that you had a lot of challenges with feeding and that that can be stressful, but with hindsight, when they're little infants like that, you're like, gee, that's pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, right? It's so easy. And in also some ways it's that, hard, but in that way, you're like, oh, I sort yeah. of could carry on a bit. Yeah, and I think also having him on me all the time was probably quite bonding, I mm. I think also in hindsight, I think about, because I wasn't necessarily, I was breastfed. I did end up mixed feeding him. I remember one of my friends only, you know, um, breastfed for three months and you, you think at the time, God, that's not very long. It doesn't feel like, but, and then, but you're in it and you're like, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get to three days, let alone yeah. three months feels like, I don't know how I'm going to get there. I, you honestly, like, you know, if it's hard for you and, and I thought, Jesus, I don't know, like that feels like a, a stretch goal for me. But I think mm. I ended up mixed feeding him until, you know, he was maybe five months. I think I stopped feeding him when I came back to work. Like I think I was like three or four days at that point. So I think I stopped breastfeeding. This is the perfect segue too. So you took three months off, which I guess for Australian standards would be a short maternity leave. Yes. Was this a need to get back to the business decision? Was this a I need this for me decision? What I guess drove it and then how did that go? Uh, I think it was, you know, a combination of emotional, mental, financial reasons and, you know, obviously business reasons. As I said, Beck's super capable. She doesn't need me to run the business, but I am conscious like when Beck goes away for two weeks, I miss her. So and I miss her, you know, contribution and I don't like making all the decisions myself. So I was conscious of that. Not that she ever pressured me. She never, we never had, I just, before I had Artie, I was like, this is my plan. I'm going to take three months off, full time off. Then I'm going to go back to work two days. Then the next month I'll do three. Then the next month I'll do four. And then I'll do full time from January. So I had had him in 
middle of May. By at the end of August, sorry, middle of August, I went to Southeast Asia by myself for a work trip. So three months exactly, pretty much. I went to Southeast Asia by myself. I did like had six days without him, which was obviously terrifying. And then he and my husband came to Singapore to meet me. So I did a week of, I went to Malaysia, Thailand, then to Singapore. And then they came and met me in Singapore. Wow. How did that go in the prep of that? My mum came down to Melbourne and helped Dion. It was more like the packing. I was like, I don't, he's not going to know what to pack. And like, obviously it's a lot for Dion to have full responsibility of a three month old um, without help. And we didn't have any nannies or anything at that point. So it was scary for me. I like definitely cried. I was more scared in the lead up. And then once I left and once by the time I was in Singapore, I actually was like, oh, I'm free. Like, not I'm free, but I was like kind of liberating. Yeah. The lead up's <laughs> always worse. The t- yeah. nights away I've had from my son. I love them once I'm there. It's the lead yeah. up. Yeah. It is. It's the lead up. And, you know, I still had his baby monitor on my phone even during the night where we crossed over. So I'd what kind of go, and I still do, even if I go, and I've traveled a couple of times since for work and I still watch him when I can, um, when the time difference allows. And I kept pumping throughout that. So I remember probably pumped more there. So I remember getting heaps of milk when I was away and I was like just spinning it, throwing it down the sink, which felt so wasteful considering I once cried because I think Dion accidentally knocked over like 10 mils of breast milk. Oh, I've had those tears as well. Yeah, because yeah, it would take me half an hour to get, you know, it would take me 25, 30 minutes to get 15 mils from both breasts. So, yeah, I was kind of still pumping and so I could keep up my supply because at that point I was still mixed feeding and I had wanted to for a couple of months. And then, yeah, so I kind of was within three months, I was straight back into it a couple of days a week, although obviously that was full time. And then we had like five or six days in Singapore together as a family. Uh, And then I came back to Australia and started two days a week. Um, And Dion had him those two days. So we didn't have to worry about care. Dion was kind of... And then so by the time, and then I do feel like the part-time side of things, though, was harder than not being there because you kind of aren't looped into everything and people are trying to be protective of your time, you know, being very caring. And I think it was what I needed at the time and what we needed because we didn't have kind of care sorted for Artie full-time. But it was mentally harder because I, and I do remember having a conversation with Beck where I was like, I just don't feel like this business really needs me anymore. Oh, that's such a hard feeling. It was so untrue. And she was, was like, you're crazy. But yeah, I do feel like the part-time transition is hard because you kind of only can manage what you can manage on those days. So you're not getting a full picture. So anyway, when I was up to four days and then by the end of, by December and then five back in Jan, I was, it was much better mm. from a mental point of view. But um, I do need to, like I do for me, need to work, not just because it's my business, but because it's important to me. And I think having other stuff going on other than being a mother is important and I think makes me a better wife, better mother, better business partner. So, you know, I don't, and look, these are the years for me, like, we need to get this business to a certain point. So I've just kind of, I'm committed to the business for the next however many years. And also most of the women in our team have kids and Beck has children. So it's a very flexible understanding environment and people, you know, families should be the priority and it absolutely is for me. Mm. Um, but I'm going to have to also not equally, but almost equally prioritize my business for the next number of years. And that doesn't mean sacrificing the love 
that I have for my child, but it might mean sacrificing some time for a finite period of time. Um, and that's kind of just the way it is. It won't be forever. So, but, you know, the time I do spend with Artie, I really make count. So Yeah, it's quality time. And as Phoebe Simmons says, there's only so many rattles you can shake in their faces. <laughs> oh, my I God, love. yeah. Yeah, there are so many. And especially, you know, Artie's now 14 months, a lot more interactive now. Mm. But absolutely, you know, I'm not a player. I'm yeah, sure it's hard. Yeah. I'm not either. No, I don't know who is. I mean, I know I'm sure some people are. But even when I get home from work, I just kind of watch Artie crawl around. That's what he wants to do. Like, he doesn't yeah. want me to, like, put rings on hoops. Like, he just, yeah. he wants to crawl around and climb up on stuff and climb the stairs and. And you're just there to hang out and laugh at what they do. Yeah, so exactly yeah. right. And I'm there to sometimes I'm the chase him and, you know. Yeah. Read him stories. And what did Dion learn from those two days that he had, Artie? He is like a chill person. He'd always be like, I don't understand why you get so stressed. Like, it's not that hard. And and that's not to say like, you know, but he would make Artie kind of work into his life. Whereas I think I would be like, okay, what's, I need to do tummy time. And then we need to do oh, I wonder this, if that and the other. Our subconscious, because we're the mums, we feel more yeah. pressure to do everything perfectly, maybe. Mm, we've got to go and do activities whereas Dion would just be like yeah Artie and I watched the F1 and Artie was in the bouncer (laughs) and like he wouldn't be so concerned with getting as many minutes of sleep time and so he was just a lot more chill and that's what I need and that's not to say he was ignoring Artie because he absolutely wasn't he's an amazing dad he's actually much more of a natural I think parent than I am and he just doesn't you know every time I'd go on a work trip I'd be like oh you hate you resentful you hate me and he's like no I always say things like that to my husband if I'm like sort of pulling back on the parenting for a day or two or whatever I'm like oh my god I'm really letting you down he's like yeah what are you talking about I know he's like I love it I love hanging out with Artie like Like I I I signed up to be a parent too (laughs) yeah I know I know and Dion definitely does carry more of the load I think as a parent just because of the nature of my work you know I just came back from two weeks in Europe which sounds really glamorous but it wasn't you know and then I had to go to Dubai for a week and then I'm going going back to London and to America in November but I always think the reason why I think I am so like I feel like remorseful when I come back and that's not to say like I'm having I think about Artie and and our family like every minute of every day but I think if the if it was flipped I'd fucking I'd be so resentful yeah I probably would too actually that's really interesting that you say that that's why I think I um I'm a bit kind of apologetic when I get back and also because I know it's not easy being a parent Mm. and I've never had to I've I think I've never I don't think I've ever had to do it overnight by myself and Artie is a dream like he sleeps through the night he has since he was about six months old so it's not like Dion's needing to get up to tend to him throughout the night and we have our nanny four days a week from 8 a.m till 6 p.m so you know it's not like there's a heap of time during week, but it's that full like a full day with a child on the weekend or two is a lot like so I am I also understand that it's he's you know Dion is really carrying the the family load um while I'm on these trips and they're obviously you know not all the time but I you know I do I do recognize that it's a lot to to kind of ask of him any tips for mothers that do travel for work either like emotionally logistically any of that sort of stuff how how do you I guess navigate it I would rather have a messy house and my shit not together in that 
from that point of view than stress myself out and stay up all night, you know, sorting things out. Like done, and I say this to my team all the time, done is better than perfect sometimes. Ooh, and that's that. especially especially the case in within the family home, I think. Like, so I will only do what I absolutely need to do. Absolutely need for me is milk so I can have a bottle of milk at home plus food for him and whatever. Like for us, mm. Dion doesn't care if we have a piece of toast. That sounds really like old school. I don't care if I have a piece of toast for dinner. Like I don't put any expectations on myself to do things above and beyond what I'm exactly the same needs to happen. Whatever you can afford to do to make your life easier so you're not the one carrying the load, like it really does take a village. And and I, I also say money because we don't have family here. So every support network, every part of my support network, with the exception of obviously some good friends, we have to pay for. So mm. I've kind of just resigned myself to that always going, like I'm always going to need to pay for support because we don't have family here to help out. But it, it doesn't it, it doesn't get easier. But I guess when they're young, so they're not going to remember you being away. So no, I'm sure it'll be harder when they start being like, don't leave, mummy. But, you know, my parents... Even then, I look back. Yeah, I look back at... I mean, my mum was around a lot, but I look back at when they went on a trip and you'd feel sad when they left. But now I look back, I'm like, I'm happy that they went into that. You think, yeah, you, you feel the same. You... you for every second of every day. It's not how we no. are built. No, exactly right. And, you know, you, kids are so resilient. Mm. Um, and, you know, while with while I was away, I would FaceTime, you know, as much as I could. I'd obviously make sure I spoke to my partner a lot, my husband. Yeah, just to make sure, check in on everything. And I, I don't have that much advice except just kind of, it, I do have a great nanny and um, a really supportive husband and I'm lucky that I can, if I don't feel like cooking, I can order good meals to fit in the freezer. But, like, I don't feel the pressure to do it all mm. myself. Like, you just have to do what you need to do to get by. Mm, like I it doesn't love have that to be so much. I've surprised myself with my ability to let go and I think it has helped me in parenting immeasurably. Yeah. And I don't think it's something that I've, like it's not like a skill that I have or whatever. It's just something that's happened. And I think that's yeah. helped so much. And it's meant that my husband has had to do so much because I'm not willing to make everything in our house perfect all the time. Like I'm just not willing to. So then he has oh, to yeah, exactly right. He has to do all of that stuff because I'm not, I'm yeah. not going to do it. No, exactly right. And that's kind of what, I mean, Dion, I, he thinks he's a lot more organised than I am and neat, which maybe he is marginally, but it's not <laughs> like he's, you know, mopping the floors. But we do, as I said, we have an amazing nanny and she keeps like the communal areas really tidy on the days that she's there. So, you know, maybe I don't feel it as much. If I didn't have anyone at home doing that, I probably would, you know, spend yeah. a bit more time tidying and stuff. But I just... We've all got so much going on. I would rather go out with friends than, I don't know, sort through Artie's old toys. Oh, I could not agree more. I'd much rather a wine and a meal with my friends than that. Like that's the stuff that's going to make the difference to how you feel. You know, you're not going to, I mean, look, my mother would disagree because she is someone that would lie back at night and think the house is tidy and that would impact her ability to feel good. So I'm just Mm. not wired like that. 
Yeah, I'm that's a really good like point that. too. For some people, it genuinely causes them more distress yeah. to not clean the house and be organized. So I, yeah, yeah, like I know I have friends like that that they just yeah. they need things to be organized, and I appreciate yeah. that. I, but I think it's too. probably knowing who you are and what you need as a mum, where where you can get the time back a bit, and yeah. that might be people might prefer to spend time tidying and see their friends, and yeah. I'm just not wired like that. So, Ava, we could chat for hours, but yes, we you're, could. Busy, you're a busy woman and a busy mother. But before we go, you wrote an incredible post about feeling really conflicted by motherhood. Mm. And I related to this so much. And I'd love for you to share a bit about what you said in that Instagram post. Um, oof, okay. I Or just your feelings. You don't have to recall yeah. that exact post. I'm like, I better pull that up. <laughs> um, yeah, I do. Well, I mean, I look, I've talked a bit about how I didn't necessarily feel like the you know motherhood came supernaturally to me in I think it's basically what we've been programmed to think is a you know a good parent by whatever yeah. we've maybe seen on television or in the movies or yeah it's like there's one type kind of, of good mother now that you say yeah. that like there's only yeah. one type and if you don't fit that mold you suck <laughs> yeah exactly right and they research and they can they home cook everything and yeah they're always they're spending a lot of time with their kids and you know but um uh, I do, I yeah, I think kind of motherhood came a bit more slowly to me perhaps. Um, like I adore, my son is the most important person in the world to me and I love him. I, ca- I can't even describe how much I love him. And so I, I just want to preface what I say next with with that. Um, but, yeah, I, I did feel like it was a bit of a slow burn maybe motherhood for me. And, and motherhood is almost separate from your child, right? Like, yeah, I we all yeah, love absolutely. our children, but our feelings towards motherhood have nothing to do with that love for them. No, it's about that loss of identity and the, I guess, selflessness that's required, which I don't love. You know, I mean, or I, I, no one, I guess, loves necessarily that feeling of people. Well, people want to do. Well, I, I'm not going to speak for other people. I want to do when I what I want to do when I want to do it, and that kind of you can't do that when you're a parent you kind of you know you're owned by another being or beings and I think you do lose you can lose your identity a bit in in being a mother um, if that's not the only thing that's important to you which for me it's not you know as I said I've got a very rich you know and fulfilling career and that I business that I love and own and I've got a friendship group that's so super important to me and I obviously have a family that's the most important to me but you can feel a bit lost in all of that and, and finding, you know, refine, finding out who you are, I guess, in this new phase of life because it's not necessarily going to be the same person that you were before. And I think that definitely takes some adjusting. And I do think there's probably a period of mourning that I don't think we ever really expect or mm. give ourselves the, like, grace to have. It's almost like you've got to be quiet about that bit. Yeah, and it's not like it's such an adjustment. Like I think having going from no child to child is, you know, such an adjustment. And obviously, I'm very fortunate, and I have a beautiful son and a and a great family, and and I'm supported in kind of doing whatever I want to do. But it is it's a very different way, and you like you're allowed to miss the life that you had. It's kind of like why wouldn't you? I had a really great life before I had Artie. I mean. Dion's like I my life's so much better now and I'm like it's better for having our child in it but I wouldn't mm. say like going to like Billy Lids on a Saturday is like better than <laughs> going to brunch 
Yes. You I know, couldn't agree but, more. I saw an article that said um, parents say they have found more meaning in their life, but they're not necessarily happier. happier. And I thought yeah. that was so poignant and so yeah. true. For me personally, I find motherhood has, I definitely feel a bit more like at home in myself as a mother now that Artie is 14 months and like a bit more interactive and can kind of speak and well, he can't speak actually, but like, you know, he can, he can communicate and he's got a sense of humor and, you know, we have fun together and he, I think genuinely loves hanging out with me. Our nanny was sick on Monday and like, I think he was kind of like excited to have me home. Even, I don't know if he even realized the difference between a Monday and then a weekend because obviously I'm home, but he kept like, he's not a super huggy kid, but he kept kind of like hugging me. And I was like, he was like excited. I could tell he was excited and we went to the park and we did all that stuff. And so that was really nice. And I definitely feel, you know, I guess, yeah, more at home as a mother, as my child gets older and you kind of know, I guess, a bit more what to expect. So it is, it's definitely like, for me, it was definitely a slow burn and, you know, I'd still prefer to be doing some of the things I used to do, but it's kind of, you know, it's you sign up for it when you have kids and that's not to say it's any less hard, but it's just a real adjustment and it is kind of, you do have to find other ways to have fun because it's not going to be necessarily the same as what it was before. And It's know, amazing it's, that stark contrast between literally your weekend just being like, what? should we do this morning? I know. <laughs> like... And you're like, another <laughs> episode of Bluey. Oh, I know. Oh. But I'm go- I'm going to let you go now, Ava. But before thank I you. do, I want to thank you for your honesty. As oh. I said, I think so many mums have stories and feelings like this, but it's still, even in today's age, it's really hard to be totally honest about the hard bits of motherhood. So thank you so much for sharing. Where can people find you online or your beautiful business if they want to have a bit of a stalk? Uh, well, Ultraviolet is um, on all of the social channels. So Ultraviolet, Violet's spelled V-I-O-L-E-T-T-E, and we make skin screens, which is a combination of SPF and sunscreen. Um, they're all, you know, TGA Tested and improved sunscreens and, you know, we've obviously spent a lot of time um, and energy making them amazing. And uh, so, yeah, we're all we're on ultraviolet.com.au uh, and then in the retailers you mentioned earlier. And then I'm Ava Matthews on Instagram. I think TikTok. I don't know my t- I don't spend a lot of time on there. <laughs> I keep trying TikTok and I just can't do uh, it. It's just too much time. I think once you do it a lot and you know how to edit and get content out, you're kind of in that frame of mind of shooting content yeah. rather than I think as a millennial, our kind of go-to is to take a photo of something. Whereas yeah. I think if you're like a, that TikTok generation, you are taking a video before you're taking a photo. Yeah. So I think it's just a bit of a... A bit of a brain tweak. Okay, I'm on it. Yeah. Maybe I'll get there one day. Thank you so much. You'll for get there. Here. Thanks so much for having me. It was a joy. Thanks for listening to Ready or Not. If you liked the show, please tell your friends, subscribe, or write a review. You can also find us on Instagram at readyornot.pod. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.